Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the Up Next in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the Up Next in Commerce team. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of Mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning at business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends, or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Welcome back, everybody. I'm excited to be here talking to Nick Califano, the COO of Loverboy, which is dominating the world of ready-to-drink, hard teas, and cocktails with better-for-you ingredients. It all started from a popular reality TV show and is now exponentially growing, which I'm excited to dive into all the details today with Nick. Welcome to the show. Stephanie, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, okay, Loverboy, I already know we're going to have so many angles (laughs) and avenues that we get get to go through today. But first, I actually want to talk a bit about you and hear about the brewing company you started, I think, in 2012, because I think that'll have a lot of ties into what we talk about today. I'd love to hear a bit about your background with that. Yeah, absolutely. So even one step before that, yeah. you know, out of college, went into finance as, you know, a lot of us were kind of led down that path. Really great experience, great background, and then worked my way into the brewing world. How did that happen? Well, in 2011, 2012, as we all know, stuff hit the fan. I come from town Yonkers, you know, one of the largest cities in New York. A lot of people know of Yonkers. Me and my buddy at home decided it was a great opportunity to really create something that brought people back to our hometown. We were right on the water, 25 minutes from Grand Central, a great opportunity to just create something really special where people could congregate. And at that time, craft beer was really heavy on the West Coast as it had been from the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, and was creeping its way towards the East. And everybody was looking to have a better experience with the products that they were putting in their body, you know, knowing where they came from, being created locally. And we were we were in the center of really this big metro close to New Jersey, close to Connecticut, really in the middle of the tri-state with direct access to Manhattan. So we decided to kind of plant our flag and create something in Yonkers. Um, as you said, that was about 2012. Through the years, you know, it was it was challenging, you know, building a company from scratch and and 
I dare to say we did a really good job of creating an amazing environment and cultivated a really amazing experience with some amazing beers. Um, but as you know, the time creeped on, I saw it was becoming a, a little less important of where the products were made. People were looking more for what was in the products they were putting in their body, not so much where it was being produced. It was still important to have a connection to that product and a connection to the person that was putting that liquid into a can. But it wasn't so much, is that made within 10 miles of where I live, but what's actually in it? And you don't realize if you turn over a beer label, there are no nutritional facts. You don't, you don't really know, right? So I think the consumer is becoming more of a health conscious consumer and not so much calorie counting, but making sure that the things that they were consuming were healthy or at least better for you. So I kind of saw the writing on the wall and, and decided to step out and you know search more for another segment of the market with a little more transparency. And as luck would have it, Kyle and I had a friend in common. And, you know, in, in 2018, 2019, he introduced us, the Carpy, shout out to Carp, and uh, put us in Connect. And, um, you know, Kyle was on a show, Summerhouse on Bravo, and had this platform and realized that people really cared about transparency and what they were putting in their body and wanted to do something special. Then my background in beer lent itself really well to this segment of the market. And that's kind of how we came to be and and how Loverboy, you know, got its legs. That's awesome. So for when thinking about beer, is there still like a space where people can list the like I still haven't seen any ingredients listed on beers. And I love craft beers. I like a good IPA, but I still have never seen like an ingredient list up until today, which I also think like that seems important. Same thing with wines, like regular wines. I'm like, why well, don't even I don't even know like the grapes that are in here or if there's anything else. How come it still seems like it's not very transparent in those areas? Yeah, and it's it's not that it's transparent and and that breweries and brewers are trying to hide something from you. It's it's actually quite interesting. Beer and seltzers in the RTD category, they're regulated by different regulatory bodies where the TTB, Tax and Trade Bureau, regulates beer to the fullest extent, the label, what goes on the packaging, where this new segment of the market, the seltzers, the teas, the RTDs, part of it's regulated by the TTB, but then the actual label is regulated by the FDA. So the label is regulated like any other really packaged consumer good, like, I don't know, pick whatever you buy at Whole Foods. So it requires that there's a nutritional label. There's actually also an additional cost to having lab analysis done and making sure that all of that is correct. So it's it's kind of another barrier to entry to get into the the seltzer and RTD segment. And it's a little less restrictive for the brewer and the craft brewer because they don't need to go that extra step and have everything analyzed. You know, one of the fun things about craft beer is you could create a new one every week. You know, you go to your local brewery and it's of a Syrah IPA or a you know, Citra IPA and Northeast IPA, a dark stout, an Irish stout. The fun thing is you could just do so many cool things and you don't have to uh, go through all the red tape and have it take months and months and months. It's really up to the brewer to decide what he wants to put in the can and, you know, up to the consumer to decide if they want to drink it, if it tastes good, more built on taste rather than what actually makes up the product. Yeah. 
Yeah, I saw a stat that beer drinking was going down. And I was thinking when I was prepping for this interview, I was like, "Hmm, I wonder if it's because consumers are now getting used to, I want the ingredient list, or I at least want to know the main ones or, you know, is it organic or whatever? I don't know. But I saw that stat and I'm like, hmm, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are a couple of challenges in the beer segment. One, there's just so much. And it's, it's great to have that much variety, but it's a lot of variety. I mean, two years ago, you walked down the aisle of your local supermarket and your head could explode by how many IPAs and what really differentiates them. The only thing that really differentiates them, yeah, there are definitely some that are better than others. The real differentiator is where are they produced? Which one's more local? And you know, you can almost close that circle now to within five miles of where you live. It's just wild and a little overwhelming too, not just to the consumer, but to the retail buyer as well. So I think one thing is- So many options. Yeah. How much is available? And it's just a little overwhelming to the consumer. And then transparency is a big thing too, because I mean, it's just common now to walk down an aisle, grab something, and then turn it over to see how many calories or what's in it. Really, beer and alcohol is one of the only things you can't do that to. We always say it's 10, 15 years behind everything else. So it was ready for a bit of a shakeup. And you saw that with White Claw when it came in, it it took the world by storm. Everybody thought it was a a fad. And I think we all realize it's here to stay. You know, once, once the consumer sees that, oh, I'm putting 90 calories in and this is what's in it. This is what I'm putting in my body. And it's hard to get away from that once you've kind of opened up that box. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so we'll fast forward to Loverboy. But first, for anyone who doesn't know, like me, anyone who listens knows I do not watch many TV shows. I <laughs> don't keep up with the cool things in the world. But first, what is Summer House? What is, is it a reality TV show? What do they do on it? What's the craziest moments? Just bring me up to speed with however many seasons they've had. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, like you, I wasn't familiar with Summer House when I met Kyle. I mentioned his name in my household and my wife's head almost exploded. So you know, that's how I kind of uh, became familiar with it through my friend, which I think is is the right step in order to kind of meet Kyle because you know him for who he is and not necessarily first intro on the show. But the show's pretty wild. You know, the whole basis of it is work hard, play hard. You know, it's it's a bunch of 20-somethings, 30-somethings who work hard during the week and then they rent a house out in the Hamptons like so many of us here in the Metro have. And I'm sure no matter where you are in the United States, when it comes to summer and nicer weather, when it comes to the weekend, you do some sort of a share house, whether it's on a lake or at a stream in a cabin house, depending on where you live. Or if you're on the coast, you go to the Hamptons here in New York. And that's kind of how it started. Kyle was one of the first ones on the show. I almost joke around. He's almost a producer on the show. He is, he's, he's really a driving force on a lot of the creative aspects and and all of that. But it, it is, compared to all the other reality shows that are out there, it truly is a reality show. The whole house is set up with cameras everywhere. They're stuck in the house from Friday to Sunday. Man, during the pandemic, they were actually in the house, I think, for seven or eight weeks straight. They were just locked in. Oh, no. You know, Jeez. they go to the house, there's some beverages involved, and drama ensues. And of course, it makes for some pretty good TV. So that's kind of the origin of the show. They, I believe they just finished up their, their sixth season. Hope it has some more legs to it, but it's been an amazing platform for the brand. It, it works perfectly with the show. You know, it's again, a bunch of 20 somethings, 30 somethings who work hard, play hard, care about what goes into their body. You know, 
not going to call them socialites, but they're they're very in tune with the social scene, trendsetters of sorts. And the product that we've brought to life is a better for you, better alternative to a lot of the other stuff that's out there and plays directly into, you know, that fun experience that that Summer House brings to the table. I think we try to bring that out with the drink as well and the packaging with the flavor profile and, and all of that good stuff. Yeah, they definitely stand out, the products do. When I was yeah, looking yeah. at the page, I was like, oh, this is a bit different. Very like colorful, fun, pretty. You can tell it's probably geared towards women who are going to buy this product. And yeah, looks great. Yeah, and we give all credit to that to Amanda, Kyle's now wife. They actually met on Summer House. So the, the whole world has seen the relationship grow and, and also Loverboy grow on the show too. Loverboy is almost like a uh, another cast member on the show is pretty interesting. But an interesting tidbit is, you know, they're responsible for their own food and beverage on the, sh- on the show. So, okay. So that's how it got in. Yeah. It's kind of a light bulb of, got you it. know, if, you know, they were big consumers of Whispering Angel, Twisted Tea. And then you realize that a lot of these products, it's, it's all sugar and it's not the best thing going into your body. And they pride themselves on, on looking good on TV. You know, it's nationally uh, broadcasted. So, they want to make sure they're putting their best foot forward. So caring about what they put in their body, it was only natural that there was an opportunity to not only get an alcohol on the show, but make sure it was the best tasting and the best for you out of everything available. And that was really the opportunity. When they had the show, Seltzer made its big impact. It was the White Claw Summer, truly was coming in hard, but there was no tea, you know, and, and tea is the second most widely consumed beverage in the world, second to water. And it's usually associated with better for equalities. Yet, really the only alcoholic teas out there were some of the worst things you could possibly put in your body. It was just a convergence of all these different opportunities at the right time with the platform, with the show. And then, you know, Kyle and I, like I said, we had a friend in common and with my beer background, was able to, you know, lend some some knowledge to this segment of the market. You know, Kyle's a Babson grad, so he's not just, you know, a celebrity on TV. He's he's a smart guy with amazing business acumen. And we kind of put that together and created, you know, this force that we really took the world by storm as soon as we uh, brought it to market. Yeah, I'd say so. What did your background in beer bring to Loverboy? Like, I mean, I'm sure it's a lot. I think it's sold as a beer, right? All of your products. Correct. So there were a lot of learning lessons when we first started. It's it's taxed and distributed like a beer, but as I mentioned before, it's, it's actually regulated by the FDA. So the government, when it first happened, didn't even know how to how to treat this product. It was just a new product. It's actually called an IRC beer, an Internal Revenue Code beer. So it's taxed and distributed like a beer, but not regulated necessarily as a beer. So it it kind of walks this line. But what it does do is it fits in the three-tier category, which is very, it's a very overwhelming process to get this beer category into a can and then into the hands of the consumer. We're not allowed to sell directly to retail. We have to sell to a distributor who then sells to retail. And that's the three-tier system, the supplier, the distributor, and the retailer. So working through that segment, you know, there are a couple of different sales that need to be made in order to get it into the hand of the consumer. So what we were able to do was just generate this huge buzz, have a platform where we were able to directly connect to the consumer, 
where they were asking the retailer for the product. Then the retailer would ask a distributor if they're carrying the product. And then we were getting inbounded left and right of, I keep hearing about Loverboy. I don't know who the hell you are, but people are asking for it. So we want to carry it. So we weren't pushing our product necessarily to the shelf. It was getting pulled. You know, the consumer was asking for it, retailer was asking for it, and then distributor was looking for it. So it was a mixture of right place, right time, and having a little bit of that secret sauce with the platform to be able to bring something to market that resonated with the consumer and was a little different than everything else out there. And um, we tried to take full advantage of it. That's a good <laughs> problem to have. I mean, yeah. wow. Okay. You're getting all this demand. What did it look like? from a technology standpoint of, I mean, did you have a website up yet? Like what were you doing when you were getting this inbound to even keep track of it and try and figure out how to even potentially fulfill things? Yeah, it was uh, it was challenging to say the least. We never really did a round like, you know, a traditional startup would. And, you know, we did a lot. It was initial friends and family that, that got everything going. We were pretty resourceful for a while as myself, Kyle, Emily, who joined really early on, Carl, who's also on the show, and Amanda, Kyle's now wife, who's also on the show. It was really the five of us who kind of took this on in uh, 2019 into 2020, just kind of figured it out. You know, we worked with some smaller distributors locally as a proof of concept to show that the platform resonated with the consumer and that we were able to create this pull. Not everybody believed it. Not every distributor believed it because every supplier that comes out says, I have the yeah, next, next best, best thing, you know, <laughs> sexy, yeah. greatest thing. And, you know, believe me, it's not like anything else you have in your portfolio. This one's going to sell. Um, but we were able to go into these markets, connect directly with our consumer through the platform, guide them to the shelf. And what do you know? It pulled. And pretty quickly, we were, you know, a top five supplier. In the Massachusetts market and in the Wisconsin market and a lot of these initial markets that we started as these little proof of concept spots. And I say little, we actually became pretty big pretty quickly and we actually couldn't keep up with demand. So, you know, it was pretty exciting. When it came to the technology piece, we actually utilized technology in the way of our like spritz and RTDs. They're wine-based. Not everybody's familiar with the three-tier system. So we were in Massachusetts, we were in New York, we were in New Hampshire because that's where Kyle's family's from and he really wanted to, you know, get it into New Hampshire. We actually went into Wisconsin early on. Uh, it's where one of our co-packers were and we felt if we were able to match up with a good distributor in Wisconsin, it could be an amazing proof of concept because it's close to Chicago, a lot of our you know, a lot of our customer base or what you would imagine our customer customer base to be is there, but there are some rural areas as well. And if we could get it to resonate there and really hit both segments of the consumer, we thought it would be a, a great example of how Loverboy could resonate with, with everybody who's looking for a better for you option in this category. And, you know, we, we blew the doors off when we went in there. So we were in a handful of markets, those markets, but of course, with the following we had, we were getting DM'd, how come you're not here? How come you're not there? I want to buy Loverboy. And they don't realize the process it takes to sign all these agreements to open up these markets. So the, the DTC play through Spritz was 
our option to ship product directly to those consumers, almost as a Trojan horse, as you will, to open up these markets, get them some lover boy, but then be a proof of concept in those markets that we do have customers. Loverboy does resonate in certain areas. And you could see where there are some hotbeds and where the next markets should be that we open up. And then slowly but surely, maybe not slowly, but surely we opened up all of these markets and that kind of got us here today. And then we we backfilled with the T's as we found a good partner, a distributor partner, and um, and got them in those markets. Mm, that's so cool. Were you able to look at viewer data to then also decide on like a market rollout plan? Or did you not even pay attention to what was happening in the TV side of it? In terms of viewer data, we don't really have direct access to that show direct data. We have some insight, but really trying to get a grasp of where Kyle, Carl, Carl, Amanda's following bases. You know, Instagram, Loverboy itself has 170,000 followers on Instagram, more than any of the other big brands that are out there. Um, our engagement is off the charts when it comes to that. So we are able to get a good sense of, you know, where the following is. And it's the Bravo watcher, you know, it's, it's a certain type of watcher. It's, you know, affluent female, typically, who Bravo caters to. So, you know, they're the hotbeds, New York, Boston, California, Florida, Georgia, Carolina. Tennessee, you know, so there's certain areas that you know the the brand will definitely resonate with. But then DTC opening up all these different markets pretty quickly, we were then able to capture true data of who's buying our merch, who's buying our spritz, and where are our consumers? And then go to these distributors and say, we already have a thousand customers purchasing a very high-end, high-valued product in your market, you know, so the T's make sense. We already have consumers, you know, we have the proof of concept without you having to take us on and and wonder, you know, if it's going to work, we could show you it's going to work. We already have the data. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine, who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. I wonder if more brands are doing that. Like, did you go to any of these distributors and they're like, oh, yeah, this is what we expect nowadays. We expect to see D2C success first before coming into, I mean, I saw you guys sign with like Total Wine and more. Yeah. Like, were they used to that or is that, was that a new strategy? They were not. One, because not, not many are doing it. It's either your DTC or your retail. There are very few that could really play in both spaces and do it well and do it successfully. And again, we kind of found that magic sauce of being able to, to do retail, 
go deep in some of these markets early on, but then open up the DTC channels through the merch, through the spritz and, and uncover this data. And when we brought it to distributors, I mean, they were pretty impressed. Data-driven finance approach. Yeah, it was five to seven of us at the time that were just utilizing all of this to just leverage everything. And we were, you know, we were doing the sales of what a 50, 70 person team would be doing just because we had access to to data that that very few companies do. We didn't spend any money on marketing. We didn't spend any money on data integration or compiling this data. It was just what we had at our fingertips that we were able to utilize and and help grow the brand. And listen, the beer, alcohol, it's a it's a little antiquated. You know, the whole setup, the three-tier system, I mean, there are a lot of parts of it that are antiquated. You know, a lot of these distributorships have been handed down generation to generation and things have worked and they continue to do business as usual. And I'm not saying that's a bad way to do it because they are blowing the doors off, right? But they usually just take on new suppliers. They throw a lot out there. They see what works. They drive home what works and they wait until the the new next best, best thing but we were actually able to bring them you know a new way of thinking a new way to look at the market and a lot of the the younger generation of these distributors like we walked in and and they got it they were impressed they followed us on social they see how big and and what that could do and that it's not just a sponsored ad by somebody with millions of followers they don't have millions of followers combined they do you know, it's it's more quality over quantity. The engagement is real. The transparency is real. And it's a lot more sticky that way. And we were able to tell that story and, the, and we were able to show the distributors that we can make it come to fruition. And they were impressed and, and they're bought in. You know, a lot, of, a lot of these guys didn't even know what Instagram was, right? So we're, we're kind of opening up their eyes to a, a new opportunity of how we could bring a brand to market in a different way than everybody else that, that approaches them. So you're in this space where you guys have been pretty ahead when it comes to the market and what people like. How do you now stay ahead of trends? Because what I see with you guys is you had a popular show. People went and found the product. You actually had a good product. So then they're coming back for it. It wasn't just like, oh, it's a popularity thing. It's like people are coming back. They're, you know, word of mouth is spreading. Now what? Like, how do you pay attention to trends and what people want and yeah, just stay ahead of it? Yeah. When it comes to trends. So the amazing thing is we are our consumer. So Kyle, Amanda, Carl, Summerhouse gang, a lot of what they do is set trends, right? They're a part of it. They're at the front line. So again, it's a little bit of that cheat code of they're in the mix. They know what's happening. They know what people are looking for. And it's not even what they're looking for. They sometimes know it before the consumer even knows it, right? We launched our espresso martini in a can last year. Kyle was drinking those on Summer House for two years, right? And all of a sudden, it's the next best thing in a can. Everybody's now coming out with an espresso martini. We were the first ones with an espresso martini in a can. So we said, let's make it easier for the bartender. Let's make one that's good because I don't know if you drink espresso martinis, but you go to every bar makes them different. Some are really good. Some are really bad. Some are like desserts and you're like, that's not what I was looking for. <laughs> Correct. So we wanted to make sure we were putting a quality product in a can that, again, works in the better for you category. I'm not saying it's it's good for you, but it's better for you compared to everything else that's out there. We use true maple syrup, and we're making sure that the best quality ingredients are going into it. 
we were thinking about that two years ago and working to put that in a can before people even realized that they wanted it. And then the amazing thing about the show is it's filmed this summer and it airs February through May of next year. So you have to be a trendsetter. <laughs> we're actually starting a trend and then, you know, setting it the following year. And it allows us to really work in the background to make sure that we're integrating a lot of stuff into pop culture. So again, a little bit of that that cheat code that we have to have our finger on the pulse to get ahead of the curve. The other thing we have that not many others have is we have hundreds of thousands of emails and phone numbers. Because of our DTC, we have a direct connect with our consumer. And our consumers are more engaged than any other alcohol consumer out there. I dare to say any other you know, consumer out there that has a relationship with their with a certain supplier. Why are they engaged? What are y'all doing to keep that engagement high other than the TV show? Well, again, it's it's the transparency. So they they saw this this product built on the show. They they saw the trials and tribulations, the highs and lows of Kyle and Amanda building this on oh, the show. Oh, it showed it on the show. Like it was actually Oh, it was okay. it was built fully integrated on the show. It's almost a cast member. But also the the engagement's high because the followers that they have care about them. I mean, I've I've walked on the street with Kyle and people stop him and they go in to a discussion as if they're a long lost cousin and they're catching up for the last 10 years. And I'll walk away and I'm like, who is that? He's like, I have no idea. Right. So these random strangers walk up, but they feel like they know them to an extent where they're comfortable just going right into dialogue and asking them questions, asking them very personal questions because like I said, the house is filled with cameras and they don't have a choice of what's kind of shown on TV. So the book is open. Everybody knows about them. And it's that transparency of, of being a part of it. The consumer feels like they're a part of it. And, and that's helped build this, this sticky following of people bought it at first because they were aware of it. They felt like they were part of it. They saw it grow. But then you know what? It tastes pretty darn good. It has better for you ingredients. And that's what keeps them coming along. And then they follow the story. And then we're consistently adding new innovation, staying ahead of the curve. And, and people look to us as a bit of a trendsetter. And they follow what we're doing, even when it comes to our merch. I mean, we've sold millions of dollars worth of merch and sweatshirts. And that's not because these sweatshirts are magic, right? It's because the brand resonates with them makes them feel a certain way and they feel like they're part of something and they almost wear as a as a badge of honor that they're part of this group and community that that we've helped cultivate. We try to say it's you know it's, it's a true work hard play hard atmosphere community it tends to be a little more work than play sometimes trying to do this but it's the persona on the show but in real life this is how they are and this is how you know they they handle themselves and and people could see right through it if it's fake and i think it's the transparency that they add, the transparency the brand has, where people buy in a lot more if they see that it's not just a facade and it's not a sponsored ad at the top. So it's uh, it's been a way that we we've been able to infiltrate you know our consumer base and have them really latch on and and buy into what we're doing. And you know our goal is just not to let them down, you know, because they look to us to again be a trendsetter and to give them quality products that they'll enjoy. So we'll keep doing it. 
So you mentioned you were maybe like one or two years ahead sometimes. What are you betting on right now? Or what are you seeing happening in this market that you're like already thinking ahead or planning to release? You know, where we are right now, what we're seeing in the market is a big shakeout. You know, Seltzer's teas, have, they've become so popular now that everybody's trying to move into the category. I think because we were early, because our brand resonates with the consumer, you know, we're in a really good place. We're going into what we call AVP season, where we sit down with our distributors and, and map out 2023. And a lot of suppliers are having difficult conversations with their distributor because they're a one-trick pony, right? They, this is what we have, and it doesn't really differentiate from anything else in the distributor's portfolio. You know, you're seeing Coca-Cola, Pepsi, Lipton, Vita Coca, like all of these brands that you you didn't think of alcohol are now coming into the alcohol space. So not only is alcohol trying to, you know, do spin-off after spin-off after spin-off, you now have these non-alc brands, which everybody thought AB was the 800 pound gorilla. Well, they have nothing on Pepsi, right? So Pepsi starts to play in the game. Now you have these distributors who they're going into their ammo case and they're like, okay, how do I combat these guys? I think what we've done overall is create a product that not only caters to the seltzer tea consumer, but we also play to the wine consumer and the spirit consumer. So beer has all this leakage to wine and spirits. You know, the female consumer isn't necessarily going to the grocery store. You know, they make 70% of all the, the retail decisions. Right, they're not going to the supermarket and picking up a six pack of their favorite craft beer, you know. But now they're picking up their favorite RTD or cocktail that's available to them in the supermarket. A lot of these beer distributors, they don't have any wine or canned cocktails, you know. A lot of those are with liquor distributors, and it's a totally different segment of the market. We give our distributor access to those consumers, so. When they feel the leakage from beer, we actually help recapture that. And we help them pull from the other segments instead of you know, giving it away. So I think we've positioned ourselves from the get-go of kind of straddling all these different segments of the alcohol market. And then again, it's just making sure flavor profile, the, the things we look to put into can are kind of setting the trends. You know, We just recently came out with a can Cosmo. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel, but you know, I think the consumer's looking for something that's easy, convenient, and you know, it's it's a pricier product, but compared to buying all the underlying ingredients and then making a Cosmo yourself at home, we all know if you want to make a salad, it's probably easier to just buy a salad than it is to buy all the components and then make a salad and then throw the rest of it, <laughs> throw the rest of it out. So we're bringing convenience and ease to the consumer. And they, and again, they know exactly because of the nutritional panel, how much sugar, how many calories and what they're consuming, what they're putting in their body. So again, it's being at the forefront of flavor profile, package size, just all different types of innovation. You know, do we look to actually put a spirit in a cocktail one day? Probably. And it's probably going to be what, what Kyle likes, right? Because again, Kyle is our target consumer, Amanda's our target consumer, and they see firsthand when things start to shift. And then we, you know, we send surveys out to all of our all of our following. You know, we're able to say, "What do you want to see?" Right? And we have two hundred thousand people who buy our products, who are the target consumer in the twenty-five to forty-two space. 
you know, the most sought after consumer and they could easily tell us what they want. And I don't really know any other supplier or consumer brand in this space who could, who could do that. Yeah. Do you guys have Palomas or Mojitos? So we're, we're working on some Coming. of those, some of those profiles, you know, and like this are two good ones that I feel like would be nice. <laughs> you know, it, it's also hard because you don't want to run, run the risk of something taking a little too long to get into a can. And then all of a sudden it's like, nobody wants a Paloma anymore, you know, or nobody wants a Mojito anymore because the consumer profile is changing so quickly. You kind of need to be the first, you know, or you at least need to be the first that, that does it well. Does it so well, we want to yeah. make sure whatever we put in a can, it's done perfectly. It's done the way we want it done. It tastes the right way. And it's also at the forefront of what people are looking for. You can't be too late to the game. Otherwise, you're just you're just another product. Yeah. Are there any products now, and doesn't have to be with you guys, where they send it to you, it's kind of like ready to drink, and then they're like, squeeze some lemon on top. or Because to me, getting fresh fruit in drinks feels kind of hard. So it's like, we did 90% of the effort, and you just top it off with this much, you know, lime, lemon, whatever it might be. Yeah, it's, um, listen, it's very hard and also very expensive for some flavors to, to get them into a can. And then how well do they hold up in that can? Yeah, like mint. I feel like it's a weird one that would not hold up that well. I mean, there's nothing better than a fresh squeeze lime and something, right? And if, if they gear you towards that and they say, you know, just finish with a fresh squeeze lime, like that's... That's part of the experience, but it's also an additional step that that you have to do. You know, like our our canned uh, cocktails, we recommend put in a shaker, you know, shake it up on ice, and then pour it into a glass. That way, you have the full experience. You could also chug it out of the can. It's not going to be a bad experience. I also mm-hmm. wouldn't recommend chugging the espresso martini out of a can. <laughs> that might be a little intense. <laughs> it's also about the experience, and you want to create that experience because if it's if it's done right that's what keeps people coming back for more, you know? So I think even with our Cosmo, you know, it, I think the flavor profile spot on, you know, lime's a big part of that. Not everybody realizes it. And I think it's okay to finish it probably with a fresh lime because it gives you the feel of, you don't want to feel like you took the complete easy way out, you know, and finishing it off with a garnish is sometimes makes you feel a little better that you actually did something rather than just, uh, <laughs> just popped a can. But I think it's important for the supplier, for the brand to not have to have that be part of it because not everybody has a lime to finish it off for that. And I think that's the same way with food. Don't put the lemon on the side, like put the lemon on top. I, I want to experience it the way you want me to experience it. And we try to think about it the same way. We we want you to be able to open up the can and have the true experience without having to take any additional steps. I love it. Okay. So my last question is, you know, after coming to this company and seeing how quickly it grew and seeing the dynamics, what are your thoughts on branded content now? And, you know, like integrating products into content, I'm sure you're probably looking around and seeing opportunities everywhere based off of how this company was created. Yeah. Until now, we really haven't spent any money on marketing, which is amazing. We've grew tremendously. We haven't really had to open up the purse because it's it's kind of built into into the brand into the platforms that we have available to us and we've been able to you know not to beat the dead horse as they say but it's that secret sauce of being able to have that show the product on the show and integrated onto the show not just a 30 minute commercial segment in between but 
literally in the background and having the, the cast being able to consume it and see it. And when you see a product, not in a commercial, but an actual setting and, and how it's part of an experience of, or something you see on TV, like that resonates with people and, and that allows them to almost feel the same way and experience that with them. You know, people buy Loverboy and watch Summer House because they feel like they're, they're almost participating with them on the show. The fun thing is we're, we're now seeing people get introduced to Summer House by first drinking Loverboy. So we're starting to see it go full circle. The big worry was, you know, listen, the not always going to have Summer House. It's not always going to be available. But we we have that audience that we've been able to reel in to really get the footing to build this brand, to allow it to to creep into the non-Bravo watching consumer base, which is really exciting to us. And then what that does is, I think to your point, does that allow us to then go into open the door to other opportunities to to get placement in other shows or work with other influencers who might allow us to unlock, you know, a different um, consumer base, you know, more the male consumer, you know, be, the interesting thing, I mean, we start with the female consumer, whether it's obvious or not, they were our initial target consumer because they're the Bravo watcher and they make 70% of the retail decisions. So they were who we were going after, you know, that beer fridge in the garage is not just the man's beer fridge anymore, you know, the wife, the girlfriend, they're starting to take over space in that beer fridge and they're starting to infiltrate what the household is consuming. So again, we're starting to see the male consumer start to be a big part of who's buying Loverboy at the moment. And with that, we really want to take advantage and start to have more visibility in, in maybe some of that because Kyle and Carl, their following is predominantly women. You know, a lot of our following is female based and we want to be able to open it up because we want to be a true household name, not just on one side of the household. Wow. All right. Well, this story is amazing. I mean, I can't wait to see where you guys go over the next year or two. And I will eventually check out Summer House, an episode of it, just to see what, what you're working with over there. And I'm sure I'll have so many more questions that are not any bit related to commerce and more like what's actually happening behind the scenes. <laughs> but yeah, Nick, thanks so much for coming on Up Next in Commerce. This is really fun. Where can our listeners and viewers find Loverboy and try it out for the first time. Yeah. Well, the amazing thing within three years, we're actually just about to be fully national. So, okay, there you go. <laughs> two years ago, you're only able to get it a few spots here on the East coast. Um, we just opened our 44th state. Um, we're with 160 distributors, just about national with Kroger, Total Wine, Whole Foods. So really any of your major retail locations, you'll be able to find Loverboy. Uh, you could go to our website and still have access to our DTC products. We're starting to filter those in through retail as well. So you could get our spritz, uh, espresso martini and Cosmo in total wine on the Kroger shelves as well. But yeah, we're trying to make it as accessible as possible to everybody. So if it's not at your local shelf, please ask for it. We'll get it to you. You could go to our website. The where to find is fully up to date with everywhere you could find Loverboy. And then 2023, we will be a fully national brand. So you should be able to find us wherever you look to buy any of your consumer goods. Congratulations on all of that. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, I appreciate it, Stephanie. Thank you. Hey, 
listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.